and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik and I am fully sick in every sense of the word at the moment. So I apologise for the non-dulcet tones you are currently hearing. Luckily, you will not have to listen to me for too long because we are joined today by Samantha Lewis and live from Manchester, very early in the morning, Angela Christian Wilkes. So you've got the three of us today. Cannot wait to talk some Euros, have a little look-see at what else is going on in the world of international football at the moment and just have a generally great time. But before we crack into all that chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So let's begin. So you love to see it because it's a fun way, as always, to start the pod. Angela, I'm going to go to you first. I can only imagine you have seen so many things, good and bad, but what have you loved to see? Oh, okay. So I just want to say I've gotten super super lucky with some of my seats at this tournament I've bought like the cheap seats everywhere but some of them have turned out to be really really good so I did want to flag I got to see the murder in Brighton uh quite a substantial amount of the goals I was behind the goal um for when England you know pounced that was very exciting but I think the goal that I've most enjoyed to see thus far was Sweden's Benison's goal in the 2-1 win that they got over Switzerland. Um, first half was a bit, of, a bit of a snooze, but the second half was amazing. And this was the goal that won them the game. But the part that I enjoyed, there was a filthy nutmeg in the lead up. That was very enjoyable. I can't remember which player did the filthy nutmeg, but yeah. And then it was just laid up perfectly for this absolute banger from her. And it was just, yes. And the, reaction as well I was surrounded by I think I don't know if it was like a organized by a if they were like girl guides or like from a school or something but I was surrounded by like 12 year old girls who are like completely getting into it and so it was actually just like very fun group to be around and um yeah everyone lost their minds it was a really good game in terms of atmosphere as well so I absolutely love to see that but it's just been so many. It's all been good. And I've also loved the fact that I've actually got some of them on film because usually I just get like footage of me clapping after a game or something. It's no good. But um, <laughs> there's a very funny video from the World Cup where it's like the Matildas did something and then it's just the worst footage you've ever seen. But it's, I'm like, I'm Louis Theroux. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, you love to see it and you love a bit of spice. You love a bit of drama. That was a really, really fun game. So yeah. I'm just thinking of bad footage from the World Cup and me recording people's feet while we chanted on that bus. Denise, if you know, you know. Also, the murder in Brighton, like from the makers of the Miracle on Montpellier comes the murder in Brighton. I'd watch it. I did watch it. It was very funny. Sam, what have you loved to see? Speaking of techers, this piece of play has gone viral almost as soon as it happened. It was the silkiest touch from Lioness's striker, Alessia Russo, in the build-up to her second goal against Northern Ireland. She was playing with her back to goal. There is this stunning camera angle, which is right behind Ella Toon as she puts this perfect through ball through Northern Ireland's defence. Russo touches it on the inside, instep of her foot, drags it behind her, spins, a single touch, bang, goal. And in slow motion, it is just so poetic. It's so balletic. It's just like all of these and I like I looked at that moment and I was like there have been so many little moments like this from so many players in so many games in this tournament and it's just a shame that we don't have like these kinds of slow-mo moments to really be able to appreciate the actual genuinely incredible technical abilities that so many of these players have so I'm so stoked for Russo because she's really like this is her breakout tournament I reckon she's been an absolute superstar for England and the like the game itself I think was pretty I mean we sort of expected that this was going to happen but I think that the way that they have just comprehensively demolished their group has made England probably outright favourites now to to win this tournament. I'm so, so looking forward to their game against Spain. We'll talk about it later. But that goal from Russo, that touch, that moment, that camera angle, love to see it. 
We absolutely do love to see it. I have several small ones that aren't really you love to see it. They're more how goods, but I'm going to pop them in now anyway because I make the rules on this podcast. Number one, Austria celebrating with a chair. Still don't understand it. People have explained it to me, so I do understand it. But I don't want to understand it. It made no sense, and I loved every second of it. They also crashed the post-game press conference, blasting a share. Austria are my kind of people. I loved to see it. Second of all, um, Morocco just won their semi-final against Nigeria at the Women's African Cup of Nations, which is a huge thing for so many reasons. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but it was in front of a new record crowd for an African women's match. 45,000 people were watching that game, which is absolutely huge. It went all the way to penalties and Tottenham's Rosella Ayane scored the winning penalty and in a very Andrew Redmayne-esque kind of fashion was there with arms outstretched unsure if she had just won her team passage through to the WAFCON final. And then you can just see the camera rising and she suddenly realises that, oh, no, she's actually got them through and the arms start going up. But that almost Larry David-esque, like, I'm not sure if I've just done something good or not, absolutely killed me. Love to see it. So, so good. Um, I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. The player who did the filthy nutmeg was uh, Canyon. I think that's how you pronounce that. It's not in the how to pronounce it article, so I'm very sorry if I've mispronounced that. Try to do my research, but yes, um, it, I just thought that was worth noting. And uh, yes, RIP to the player who was retired. I won't say your name because I feel like that was a really embarrassing moment for you. So, <laughs> but also just those how to pronounce names articles, not good, but. We move on. We ride. Um, As Sam mentioned, we're going to be talking about the quarterfinals at the Euros because they are finally set and there are some toasty clashes coming up. So we start things off with England, the hosts against Spain. England went through that group perfectly. They look terrifying. Spain, on the other hand, uh, not so much. So Sam, talk to us. You've got some thoughts about Spain. So do you want to start us off with what's happening with Spain? And are, are they about to get Norway? That's, oh my God. I don't think they're about to get Norway, but I I don't feel confident in Spain going into this quarterfinal against England. And that is, I think, basically because of recency bias and the way that these two teams have navigated their groups and the style in which they've done so. So England, on the one hand, completely blitzed it. They have scored the most goals of any team in the history of the Euros in the group stage. They put eight past Norway, which was a record. They didn't concede a single goal the first time that a team has done that since Germany in 2001. It was a record-breaking group for England. It was incredible. Spain, on the other hand, have really sort of stuttered and started. It's been a really interesting thing to watch because coming into this Euros, they we're on, I think, a 32-match unbeaten streak or something absolutely amazing. Spain were absolutely flying. And I think maybe the the biggest issue that they've been having is the loss not only of Pateas, who's you know obviously going to, to leave a massive hole in there, but also the loss of Jenny Hermoso. Because when you watch Spain now, they they don't have that central striker figure to really aim for. And there were so many times against Germany and against Denmark where Spain did all the work all the way up till the final third. They got the ball around the top of the box and they just didn't have someone there to put their foot through it. They, they just tried to be too tricky about it. And Germany and Denmark, to their credit, defensively were very, very, very good and really forced Spain to work for it. Um, but they just couldn't, I mean, they obviously got it done because they're through to the quarterfinals, but they couldn't get it done in a really convincing fashion. Even though they dominated possession, they dominated the number of attacks uh, that either side created in both of those games. They dominated the number of shots. They, you know, they dominated in so many other kinds of ways that we usually use to measure dominance in a game. And yet when it came to the final moment of just putting the ball in the back of the net, they really seemed to struggle. So Coming into this game against England, who have 
not conceded a goal and under Serena Weigman have conceded a grand total of three goals in like what, 10 months or something. It's going to be really interesting to see how it works. And you know, Spain, we also saw against Germany, they are, they have weaknesses. They are able to be, I mean, sometimes the weakness is themselves when you're, you're Panos and you pass the ball to the opponent, you know, that doesn't really help your cause. Um, but they do have weaknesses. And when, when you saw Germany um, pounce and pressurize Spain when they had possession and when they transitioned and attacked in numbers, Spain looked a little bit all over the shop. And, you know, that feels to me like the kind of style that England loves to play. They're very, very quick in transition. They they press with numbers. They do everything collectively. They have threats all over the park from all kinds of layers. It's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm so, so looking forward to this game. Anne O'Dong and I, shout out to friend of the pod, Anne O'Dong. We have a bet. My bet is that England are going to put at least four goals past Spain. We have a five dollar bet on it. She thinks it's going to be tighter, but I'm I'm pretty convinced that this England team is is this is a real deal. Angela, you saw the England machine up close. Are they as terrifying as they looked on the screen? I mean, for that Norway game, like Norway made them. Hello, that's true. I'll just wait. That's fine. I'm just yeah. Some people recording podcasts here. Anyway, um, I think, yeah, Norway definitely made England look good in that game. I think we can all agree on that because it was just so bizarre. It was like all of their, like they were getting so much of the ball through their wings and like through Lucy Bronze, but then Norway weren't pressing or like pushing out or trying to stifle that in any way. It's like they were trying to protect the middle, but then in the middle you've got Ellen White who's, found her scoring bonds or like is at least getting in spaces and, and drawing players. And then, yeah, it was just very bizarre. Um, the England machine, I do agree. I think England are going to win this game probably quite comprehensively just because, yeah, I Spain have gotten away with quite a bit this tournament. And as I said, I don't know if this is allowed. Sorry, Mickey Mouse. Apologies in advance. I was saying I was expecting Spain to be really sexy this tournament and to play very sexy football, but they've basically given everyone the equivalent of blue balls. Like they just haven't been putting their foot through it. They haven't been scoring goals like you would expect them to. And I I think you're spot on, Sam. Like Jenny Hermoso not being here has been such a big part of that. I didn't realise until in her she's been absent the, the role that she plays in actually shooting, just like giving it a crack. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think it, it, it is a case of England are, are going to be quite good. But this is also, I think, going to be England's first, aside from kind of the, the Austria game, their first substantial challenge against a team that's playing really good attacking football. Like, even though Spain aren't scoring, um, the, I, their defence hasn't really been tested too much just yet. But on the other side of that, England do have a really good defence at the moment, I think. Um, and they have a defence a defence comprised of defenders, which is uh, just such a, a lovely thing for them. Not everyone can brag or say that they can have that So, or say that they have that. So it should be pretty exciting. Maybe in my head I'm imagining it's going to be a blowout, but I think I'm hoping for more of a contest. I've just been expecting the games that have been contests and have been a bit more even have not been the ones that I would have predicted at all to be honest um I was expecting to see yeah a bit more um from England's opponents thus far but yeah it should be good um but yeah England and yeah England are machines at the moment absolutely it's it's I've, I've been thinking a lot about this we can maybe chat about this later but like in terms of the whole inheriting a group of amazing players um we're kind of seeing that across a few different teams at this tournament and how it can really go a few different ways. And I think Serena Bargman is just, it's showing how much of an amazing coach she is. The fact that she's actually been able to get the best out of this group um, because this England team have been comprised of very talented players for a long time, I think at this point, but now we're finally being like, Oh boy, oh Lord, she coming. 
If, if Vigman wins it again with England, I think her stocks basically go through the stratosphere, like Serena Vigman, football genius, basically. Um, I am really interested to see how England go without as much of the ball because we know that Spain are a very possession-heavy side. So it is going to be really interesting to see how England go about it, what kind of style they play. Do they adopt something similar to Germany where... Germany basically just said, here, have the ball, tire yourself out, and then we're going to fucking, you know, go for it. Um, well, that the, the thing that I well. think Germany did better was that uh, as opposed to, to the other two games, I think Germany allowed Spain to have the ball in certain areas of the park and not in others. So they controlled the space off the ball better than I think the other teams in the group did. And they were able to uh, to uh, like basically to capitalize on Spain's errors and them being perhaps a little bit too ambitious moving forward in order to to score their goals. And I think that that's where England are are probably more similar to Germany than they are to to anyone else because they are smart enough as a team, they're fit enough as a team, and they're. Uh, choreographed enough as a team to be able to pull something like that off. But another important point that Anne made when I was chatting to her was the role that fatigue could potentially play because while England have been fantastic, there hasn't been a huge amount of rotation in terms of their starting 11 players and tournament football can be exhausting. And this is getting to the pointy end of it now. And as we know, it's very, very warm in England at the moment. So these players could potentially start to, to really feel it, in, particularly in games where they're having to do potentially a lot of running like they will against Spain if they indeed allow Spain to have a lot of the ball. So I don't know. It's, it, could be, it's, it could be the match of the tournament or it could be an absolute snooze fest. One of the two. Let's move on to the next quarterfinal. So Germany taking on Austria. I have described Germany as having the range, darling, because I thought they were just so excellent to be able to put four, you know, in their first game, absolutely look like an attacking force to be reckoned with, but then just as easily were that really well-oiled defensive machine against Spain. So for me, they have the range. I love it. I did not think about them in my kind of considerations for predictions, not because I didn't think they'd play well, mainly because I'm a little bit stupid and I just didn't think about them. So I'm really excited to see what they do. Austria have kind of, I suppose, not flown under the radar, but when you're in the same group as England and the tournaments in England and England keep doing things like that, you kind of do get lost in the wash a bit. So how do we see this quarterfinal playing out? Germany got to win it, right? I feel, I don't know. Am I going to be, am I going to have egg on my face for saying that? I feel like Austria are going to be in it, uh, but I just, uh, yeah, I don't, that's, that's my prediction. I don't have any elaboration to give you on that. Sam, maybe you get, I'll just hand well, it over thing- to you now. I've done the hard stuff. <laughs> The thing about Austria is that they've played probably two games where their absolute superstar has been Manuela Zinsberger in goal. If she's not there, they lose quite comprehensively. And, you know, like how how many times can you skin a cat? Like how much luck does Austria have in that regard? I don't think, I think they're going to start to run out of opportunities coming against Germany because Germany have weapons everywhere. And as fantastic as Zinsberger is and has been and would potentially be goalkeeper of the tournament if she's able to make similar kinds of saves against Germany as what she has been, I just feel like Germany are going to overpower them. Um, and also Austria, you know, as, as defensively solid as they've been, they don't offer a huge amount going forward either. They haven't scored that many goals. In fact, I think they've only scored three, two against Northern Ireland and one against Norway. Uh, so going, yeah, so I'm, I'm just sort of not super convinced that they can sort of get it done in that respect, but it is tournament football. Anything can happen. We've seen it happen already. Uh, they just need one and then they just need to bunk down, park the bus and hope that Zinsberger pulls out another absolute worldie of a game and potentially gets them through to the semifinal. And wouldn't that be awesome for Austria? So if they were to get through to the semifinal, they would take on, you know, a France or a Netherlands or whoever is on that side. Like, 
that would be fabulous. And it's, it's well-deserved for, I think, a lot of these players who are very, very good and very underrated. So, yeah, but I, I don't think they will. I think Germany will be too good. I agree. I just think Germany are going to do things because every time I've watched them, I've just been so impressed. I now love Alex Pop, like didn't realise, my new favourite player. She scored in every group game. Beth Mead, the only other player, I think, to have achieved that, at least in this tournament. I'm not sure if it's a, a Euros history kind of thing, but I know with certainty that for at least this tournament, two people scored in each group game, and it was Beth Mead and Alex Pop. So she's been sensational there's just a lot to like about this Germany side. I like their kit. Angela did a, a kit ratings video over on our TikTok and our Instagram, so you should definitely go check that out. I just like Germany. I, I yes, yes, Germany, yeah. Like that's it. That's my my final thoughts on that one. I think another quick thing that Matilda's fans might find relevant in terms of Germany is that like a lot of the reason why people perhaps didn't um, think that Germany would be able to do much at this Euros to the point where like they barely factored into people's sort of like favourite couple of teams who could take out the title is because their past year has been kind of underwhelming. You know, their performances against a, a number of teams have not been super convincing. They've lost some weird games as well against lower ranked opponents, but as we're seeing now, come tournament time, everything is falling into place and, and stuff is really working for them. So, you know, it's a good example for maybe, you know, for Australia to take a step back from the way that the Matilda is going about things at the moment, being like, you know what, come tournament time, that's when we can actually consider the rest of the past year in, in the context of the build up to, to a major thing, the way you actually have to do well. So I'm going to be really curious to see the way that Germany goes for the rest of this tournament based on that. I'm not sure I appreciate you trying to build hope for Matilda's fans there. I don't know what you think this is about. Where'd... I'm sorry, I have, to, time... I have to do something. Yeah, um, well, fair enough. I was I was just going to say, I feel like maybe the it's a silly analogy, but that we've underestimated Germany. Well, because they're always good, right? I don't think yeah. they're necessarily ever anyone's ever like oh Germany who are those guys what who do they think they are but also like maybe it's just like German you know German trains like they're just so quiet and so well run and so sleek that you don't even notice them as opposed to these fuckers over here like crash bang along you know that's a train going past when it happens but Germany they're just flying under the radar because they're just too smooth you know this probably this analogy can only go so far I don't think too deeply about it as the negative Nancy of this pod, I'm like, we are not Germany. I would not be like, like, I see exactly like your logic, your thought process. You have showed the explanation, but I'm just like, we are not Germany. We but are the anyway, <laughs> We're the fucking beeline. Um, let's move on to another quarterfinal. So this is on the same side of the draw as England Spade. It's Sweden taking on Belgium. I tipped Sweden. I will let everyone know that I tip Sweden. So in the off chance that I am right, I can rub that in people's faces because I love being right. Started a bit slow, but seemed to be building some sort of momentum, which considering they can't break my Australian heart in this tournament, I love to see. Belgium, meanwhile, I don't, I haven't watched as much of them. So I'm really keen for your guys' thoughts on what Belgium may potentially offer. Do we see this one being as one-sided as maybe like the Germany-Austria quarterfinal where it's going to be Sweden? Uh, I'm just, I'm flaking it out for Belgium. I'm really excited. It's an excuse to buy the kit, to be honest. I So yesterday I went to the Italy-Belgium game and I was like rooting for Italy because I just, they were my dark horse prediction and I just wanted to maintain a little bit of integrity. Anyway, it was not to be. But Belgium going through, I think from what I can see of Belgium, they don't play particularly beautiful football, but they play good, consistent football, and they seem to be quite even across the pitch, if that makes sense. They're a, they're a team's team. And so I think. I don't – Sweden and, and Sweden, on the other hand, I've been a little tiny bit underwhelmed by them this 
tournament because yeah it has taken them so long to like kind of build into games and they've got so many incredible players but then it is those kind of like for example the, the draw against Netherlands was a bit like they I really felt like they were in that had the upper hand in being able to take the Netherlands on there because the Netherlands wouldn't I don't they haven't been playing great this tournament to be honest um and then yeah in terms of like the Switzerland game as well the it's just yeah it's just a bit you know and I was I was anticipating a bit more of the Olympic the the Sweden that we saw at the Olympics that you know it just terrifying and kind of came out of nowhere and really had an element of surprise about them but were able to utilize all of those players in in really exciting ways so I'm I'm going to be quite excited to see how they do because I think Belgium will be able to um hold them back quite a bit and that they showed that against both France like obviously Belgium lost against France but they were able to equalize very quickly and were able to capitalize sort of similar to what happened in the Germany Spain game like they were able to make the most of the opportunity that they were given and um I mean it, it wasn't there was a few other things that fell their way that game as well um but Wendy what happened love she missed the pe- did, did you guys see that people are losing their minds it was like what Anyway, so um, too long didn't read. I'm going for Belgium and I'm really excited. I don't think they'll make it all the way. Um, and I don't know if they'll be able to topple Sweden, but I think it will be an exciting game. I think they'll actually bring a bit of grit. Um, and I've been yeah quite impressed with how they've they've shown up. Because, yeah, I, I haven't paid attention any attention to Belgian women's football before. My apologies. But now I definitely will be. And I think this team was also a really good kind of advertisement for the league in Belgium because uh, quite a few of the players um, play there locally. So, anyway, that's that's my thoughts. Angela discovers Belgium and is pleased. <laughs> I, I feel the same way about Belgium that I do about Austria, I think, which is that didn't know a huge amount coming into this Euros, didn't really know what whether they played with a certain kind of style. My only reference points really were the men's teams, but I've been impressed with the, with the both of them and the way that they have gone about game plans against certain kinds of opponents. I think Austria is probably the the better of the two if I were to draw a comparison like that um but Belgium even just by virtue of the group that they were in I think have been pretty impressive you know they they really took it to France I feel like they were able to sort of hold them out for quite a while they drew with Iceland who are themselves like another story which we'll get to later and then they beat Italy but again Italy have sort of been a bit mutt as well so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like they're, they're a bit of a, they're a bit of an unknown quantity, Belgium. Um, Sweden, on the other hand, I think because we do have a much more recent uh, experience of them and we know how ruthless they can be, it does sort of feel like they haven't quite hit the heights that we expected them to. But maybe it is just a matter of building. And we saw in that game against Portugal, the last group game, that that's the kind of Sweden that Matilda's fans don't love, but know very well. Um, And that was also an extremely strong group, I think. Like Switzerland, I thought, were really unlucky not to get through to the quarters. They were fantastic. And that game um, against the two of them, Sweden and Switzerland, was unbelievable. Uh, Netherlands as well, I'm I'm a bit like, yeah, yeah like sort of feeling the same vibe. I'm like, where are you? This doesn't feel like the same Netherlands team that we expected to be here. And maybe that's by virtue of the new coach. Maybe they are still building into this tournament as well. Their quarterfinal is going to be fascinating just in terms of figuring out where they are. And when they come up against a really serious opponent with like knockout football as well on the line, really for the first time, I guess, since the final match day, that causes teams to do different things. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of, of these teams, but I love that they're here. I love that it was a different thing to what people were expecting. I love that 
these teams are and this tournament is providing a platform for new players to get on the radars of people's consciousness you know and hopefully they're able to sort of leverage this into big moves to bigger clubs because as we're seeing like some of these players are awesome and they just need an opportunity to be able to show other people that my only advice to Belgium coming up against Sweden would be to uh, mark players at set pieces as Portugal learned the hard way. Um, oh, yeah. Particularly, I would mark Philippa Engeldahl at like the top of the box because she literally scored the same goal twice just through like poor Portuguese marking. But I am really excited about that game. And I know it's incredibly biased. I'm really excited for Sweden. I want Sweden to do well simply because it can't hurt me this time. I want this because it can't hurt me this time. But you kind of alluded to it a little bit, Sam. Our final quarterfinal is France v Netherlands. Now, I tweeted that in an alternate universe, this game is going to slap. In this universe, it's going to be a comfortable France win. Do you guys agree with me or am I completely off base here? That's a really good question. I I feel like it would have been a more comfortable win had Marie Antoinette Cototo stayed in the side because the chemistry that she has with uh, with Gianni on the right is almost unparalleled in this tournament. And we saw what they did against Italy in that sense. But now that she's out with her ACL and watching their final group game against Iceland, I was not super convinced by the replacements. Even though Mal- like Mallard did score the opening goal, fastest goal I think in Euro's history as well, 46 seconds. That was amazing. But I, I was sort of like, yeah, but, you know, it's just uh, maybe this was just a reshuffled team because it was the final group game. They knew that they were already going through. I don't know. I'm just – I and the Netherlands, I, even though they haven't been particularly convincing, they haven't – I don't know. They haven't – like they haven't been – they haven't been bad. It's just that they haven't been dazzling. And so I don't like, I don't know how to measure teams like that. You know, I don't know how to assess them. I don't know how to talk about them because you always have to, I think, put them in context and measure them by virtue of their opponents. And I, yeah, and it's, it's, and because of the rotating Ross, I don't know. This is just, uh, my brain cells are gone now when it comes to <laughs> trying to think about this game. I I mean, yeah, I haven't seen the, the um, Iceland France game, Sam. So that, I do find that kind of, interesting and to be honest I thought the the final scoreline because um I was at yeah like I said Italy Belgium I went to Italy Belgium once um and so after the game everyone's kind of you know shuffling out of the stadium and we were all thinking it's it's one nil to France and they've won the game or whatever and then like you know a bajillion years later you find out that in the 90 plus 12 how how it must have been, was there like an injury or something? I don't know. I need to find out for myself. But um, because, yeah, the, the France that I've seen, that if we're talking sexy football, France have been so fun to watch and I've been enjoying them so much. So I'm really hoping it's a game that slaps. Um, for context as well, I'm, I'm not sure if our listeners know. So my friend Ruth, who's from Holland, she was meant to be flying into Manchester yesterday and she tested positive for COVID in the morning which is like just the worst it's I'm so heartbroken for her, but we're trying, we're planning, we're putting out all the stops so she can get to Rotherham on Saturday so she can get to this game. So like planning flexible travel and that kind of thing in, in, in the off chance that she can come and she's over a, a COVID. So on that front as well, I'm kind of like, I really hope it slaps if we can get Ruth to the one, because if they get knocked out and then she's coming over and there's no Netherlands, that's going to be a bit of a bummer. She, she's like, I just want to party with the Netherlands fans once. Like, just give me that. So um, I hope it slaps, but I think, I don't know. I, I feel like also with the Netherlands, we need to address it. Like they've had COVID rip through their squad. So that can't have been particularly useful. Like they'll probably most likely have, hello train, they'll most likely have Div like Vivian Miedemar come back in, but she'll have, will she be fit? Like, we don't know. And we saw her in the first game against the Netherlands as well. Like she was utilised in a very strange way. She dropped very deep. And as soon as she stopped dropping so deep, she was actually able to have an impact on the game. But it, so that's also a coaching thing as well. I'm not sure, um, but I am most excited. I think I'm most excited for this quarterfinal to be honest because if France kind of bring what they've shown in the group stages and then Netherlands can actually rise to the occasion it could be fantastic 
um, I feel like it's the most even matchup potentially. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But um, does that too too long didn't read? Could could be boring. <laughs> could be exciting. Could be boring. Basically, what you said, Marissa. Sorry. <laughs> Just, that's very funny. Um, my my one word answer requirement from you guys for this question. Um, if Viv is fit, does it change your opinion of how this match is going to go? Yes. Yeah, Angela. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I think. I think part of me when I tweeted that tweet forgot that Viv could come back, and that could be interesting. I'm just sick of putting my hopes in the hands of the Dutchies and them disappointing me. I wanted them to beat the US in the 2019 final. They let me down. I wanted them to beat them in the Olympics. They let me down. So I simply refuse to put any sort of, like, hope in the hands of the Netherlands anymore. They just keep letting me down. That being said, I was really impressed with their youngsters. I thought they were absolutely sensational really kind of drove the win for them and made it all the more impressive. So the likes of Pullova, the likes of Lutla, I think. I'm, Dutch is not a language I am any good at. Van Domselaar has been so impressive since she was called upon in that opening game with the injury uh, to Sari van Wienendal. So I really like the Dutch youngsters. I just, I, I can't be disappointed by the Dutch again. I simply will not allow myself to do it. But so who do we think... We'll go through each of the quarterfinals. Quick tip. It's just one word answer. Who do you think is progressing through to the semifinals? So England, Spain. Samantha? England. Angela? England. It's oh, it's three lions. No, no, no. You're all good. It's three lions. It's three yeses. It's three Englands. Germany, Austria, Samantha. Germany. Angela? Germany. Again, yeah. sorry, okay. I get too keen. No, 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 you're doing, you're doing fine. I'm just like, how boring. We all agree. Sweden, Belgium, Sam. Sweden. Angela. This is manifestation. (laughs) (laughs) I love this for you. I do believe it's going to be Sweden though. And then France, Netherlands, Sam. (sighs) Netherlands. Ooh, Angela. France. I think it's going to be France too. Well done, friends. A quick fire tipping situation. So as we said, the quarterfinals start Thursday morning Australian time. England and Spain and Sweden and Belgium are on the same side of the draw. So the winners from those two games will meet each other. The winners of Germany, Austria and France, Netherlands will meet each other. So plenty to look forward to. Let's move on to some of the other international football that has occurred. The CONCACAF championships have finished. America won yawn does anyone have anything they would like to say about this at all sam i think you were watching this game because it was at the perfect time for australia may i add it was yeah it was a midday kickoff i mean what a time to be alive it was the usa canada as it has been for i think the past ten thousand Concacaf finals uh and like to be honest i i thought canada were really good they just they like they just need to shoot more. <laughs> like the US came into the, like the, it was 1-0. The uh, USA won thanks to an Alex Morgan penalty in the second half. Uh, the USA, I think, really started to dominate in the second half, particularly after they made their substitutions. They brought on a whole bunch of youngsters uh, who ran and ran and ran and ran. Sophia Smith is an absolute superstar. I am terrified of her. Rose Lavelle continues to be amazing. Emily Fox is another player who we all need to be very aware of. She's a left back for the US and is absolutely rapid. She took care of almost every single Canada winger that came onto the field. She was extraordinary. Um, but yeah, look, Canada, Canada were really good. They, they were really organized as they tend to be. They were defensively very, very solid. Obviously they only conceded a penalty. Um, and it, it was just that the U S were pretty much, they just ran over the top of them by the end of it. So yeah, I mean, it's not the end of the, of the road for Canada though. They have to take on Jamaica, um, for the final spot in the, for the 2024 Olympics. Cause that's what this was the, uh, the sort of the double up tournament qualification period for, so the USA are through to that and Canada take on Jamaica. Um, and then we get to see ye old Canada down under in September when they come and take on the Matildas. So that'll be a, a cracking two-game series, uh, I reckon, and, and a real test of, of both teams for different reasons. So, yeah, it should be really good. Definitely get your tickets to those games. There's one in Sydney, one in Brisbane. 
I say they're going to be fun. I don't actually know if they're going to be fun, but we will obviously preview them a little bit closer to kickoff. We also have a couple of other tournaments. Like I said, if you really wanted international football in the middle of the year, you, you had some football to choose from. Maybe not men's football, but you had some football to choose from. Um, the Women's African Cup of Nations. I keep talking about it. I can't actually watch it, but every piece of social media I see about it, there's just so much joy and excitement. Morocco is having the time of their life. They're hosting the tournament. They've made it through to the final. They beat Nigeria on penalties. And I know we've spoken a little bit about how dominant Germany has been at the Euros. Nigeria is basically the African equivalent. They've won 11 of 13 Women's African Cup of Nations. Only two teams have ever won the Women's African Cup of Nations. So Nigeria and then Equatorial Guinea, who Australians will remember for that still inexplicable handball at the 2007 or 2011 World Cup. I don't remember which one, but you know, bizarre. How bizarre. Um, But Morocco on home soil have just been on an absolute run and they have made it through to the final, defeated Nigeria on penalties. They'll meet South Africa, who we know have been kind of, maybe not a powerhouse, but have been consistently kind of qualifying for World Cup, so definitely one of the stronger African nations. So that's going to be really exciting. And as I said uh, at the top of the show, 45,000 people rocking up to a game. We love to see people watching women's football. We've also got the Copa America and the OFC Nations Cup. Those tournaments are still quite early on, so we'll talk a little bit more about them when they get to their knockout stages and what kind of ramifications it has for 2023 World Cup qualification. But Instead, we'll move on to something a little bit different. So our last episode, we introduced Carrot's Corner, and that was literally Angela sending us a voice note. And as I said, we hadn't heard it beforehand. We just popped it in the pod, and it was phenomenal. But now we basically get the second edition, but it's Carrot's Corner live. So we're going to have a little chat about what it's actually like in England at the moment. I don't is, should we make it like a Q&A or do you just kind of want to rip out the monologue again Angela and we'll pop in with comments and quips as we want to do I feel like because it's quite early maybe ask me some questions and that might just start a ramble that keeps going for 20 minutes which we all I want. do forget <laughs> that you are like very early in the morning and you are not a morning person and we've made you get up really early in order to make this pod work so Sam do you have a question because I need to blow my nose as I said I'm really sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I guess my question is about the sort of vibe of the various cities that you've been in like when we went to France for example there were some cities that really embraced being a host city they were marketing things everywhere there were little fan zones there were flags they're like everyone got around it and then there were some other cities which really didn't and you could go through the whole city without even knowing that there were games being hosted there that's how sort of nonchalant they were so what's the vibe for you Angela what are the cities that you've been to and have they differed in terms of um, the enthusiasm for the tournament that's a really good question um so I think it's it's sometimes hard to tell maybe because it's confirm- confirmation bias a little bit but um like I see the branding and I'm like yeah! ah, that's what I'm here for wow um but I will say I feel like the um they have the smaller cities so there's kind of like a few tiers so there's like okay there's London right London's so big that I feel like I've seen bits and pieces there's been a lot of advertising everywhere which has been fantastic to be honest um I mean, it's still ads, but like they've really, like Visa, for example, I've seen the same Visa ads all over the place and it's like really being pushed. And you, it, I think it would be hard to be in London or in any of these host cities and not know that the Euros are happening, to be honest. Um, where Whereas in France, like it was kind of like, there was like some signage down at the beach and then like, that was really it. Um, I will say, so London's obviously so big and the games have been in Brentford. So there hasn't actually been too much of an atmosphere, I feel like, being built up around the tournament there just because it is such a big place. Um, but 
Manchester, when I went to Manchester for the first time, I was like really pleased with how much stuff was going on. They have a, they've got the fan zone in the middle of the city, which I think was a really smart thing to do. And the fan zone, so I went yesterday, um, I made, so as I, as I like to do, I like to, you know, what's the, the good word of women's football? I don't know. So I, I was at a hostel in Leeds and I met two people over breakfast who were talking about football. Um, and like, they both came to a game. So um, one of them came to the Netherlands game and brought his sister along, which was great. Um, and at the start, we ended up in like the Netherlands parade. Um, and then it, by the game, like by the halftime, he was like, I'm actually going for Switzerland because they've played a lot better. And I was like, valid, valid. Um, and then the the second game was yet, like yesterday. So Italy Belgium um and that was I had another friend Fergus who came along and we went to the fan zone before the game sorry that was the point um, we went to the fan zone the fan zone actually it was really nice it had like an alcohol like free section and then like which had more stuff like um what's that thing foosball turns out I'm terrible at foosball um and then like a beer side as well where shout out to the man who fell through his like beach chair that was very funny love that for him um I don't he wouldn't be listening to this podcast but anyway it was very funny um he was too relaxed in the fan zone so I think that's quite good like in terms of like actually catering and acknowledging that there are adults at the tournament who would like to have a bevy they served pins that was great um and then yeah in London I'm actually in saying all that stuff about London I'm really keen to get to they've done a an exhibition like a exhibition at the moment um about women's football um out in the west side of London. So I really, I'm really keen to get to that. Um, and I will say as well, sorry, this is just a super long ramble. Um, yeah, so in terms of like London, not too much going on, but obviously they, they are still doing things. Like the cities like Manchester and Sheffield I've really enjoyed and they've, they're a little bit smaller and it's, Sheffield, the vibe was absolutely amazing um, when I came for the first Netherlands-Sweden game. And because they're smaller, like it's harder to escape the fans so people are going to get more caught up in it um and Manchester very similar like there's a few little touches around the place like the the tram company saying good luck to our lionesses and I mean like at old traffic game it's inescapable then you kind of have these like I would say they're sort of like satellite cities and it's really hard to determine how the tournaments have influenced those places but Rotherham in particular so Rotherham is a town that's like 15 minute train ride or like 15 minute um drive out of Sheffield and you no one's staying in Rotherham because Rotherham has one hotel and that's kind of gives you an idea of what Rotherham is like how big it is but it's got this fantastic stadium um and when I've been to the games at Rotherham you can tell that like locals are really getting behind it um and so in that also Rotherham has a really cute crocheted black flowers that like the color of the women's euros that was really nice um but in terms of like vibe not too much because you kind of have to just commute and then go back I feel like that's going to sort of be the same for Wigan and Lee like they're not able to like generate but it's it's really you're just there for the stadium um sorry I've been talking for a little bit now what was I going to say oh and in Sheffield, real cute. So they've got like posters up that say Yorkshire, get behind your lionesses. And they had another thing. They've got um, different pubs around the place. If they're a Heineken pub, they like advertise that they're showing the games because I think Heineken's a sponsor. So that kind of thing. Like it is quite prevalent, which is really fantastic to see. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say, the app, the Women's Euros app is like, and the ticketing app have been really, really good. So the Women's Euros app, pushes through and you get emails about like what's happening on game day how to get to the stadium what to bring that kind of thing like it's really really thorough and you do like you know exactly what you can get up to on the day of so I will say that's been a really positive thing I do know that I I don't know you have some anxieties around this Sam as well I know that the sort of the preparation for the tournament was quite late in the piece like they started I think people knew that they were having to do something or put something together about January of this year I believe it was and so I don't want to see that for the World Cup right I preferably I would have 
preferred to have seen stuff happening like six months ago, some kind of hype built up because I think that's an important part of it. There's the tournament itself and what cities do and what how they kind of get behind it. But there's also getting people involved in terms of like actually promoting it to the communities. Oh, that's a cute thing that happens. They, they've gotten primary schools, so they give shout outs to like primary schools and like schools that come along and um, have been given tickets to the games. And I think that's been um, really nice. Like even though, the, you know, there's, there's thoughts and feelings to be had around marketing women's football to kids and to families, like I said, I think there's been a quite a good balance. I don't feel like I've, I'm being condescended to as like, oh, you're just a wee girly that wants to play football and look at all these amazing stuff. Like it's actually been quite good in that respect. And um, I did post about this. The kids, like, I feel like, I don't know if this has always been the case. Maybe I just don't know enough children, but I got into an argument on the train with like, a 10 year old about Portugal and this kid had like honestly he should be a guest on his podcast like he had more he had super in-depth takes and knew so much about the different players of the different European teams and I think that's really exciting as well like that that's a thing now like um again I don't know if it's just now but like there's and there's enough information out there for um you know kids to nuff it up like that um anyway that was a really long answer Sam I'm so sorry the vibe has been good in especially I've spent a lot of time in the northern city Brighton is uh, awesome as well I think it is it is that if, if you're in a more compact place um it's just yeah you're more likely to get the good vibes and the weather has definitely helped because people are out and about if the weather was shit, I think there would be kind of a different vibe. Oh, also the National Football Museum had an exhibition in Manchester, which was really amazing. And you saw that I put the far post up like Jason, I saw you as in 2023. So super long answer that tells you precisely nothing. Glad to have been of assistance. Yeah. <laughs> and that was Carrot's corner. No, I just I have I have one more question. <laughs> No, I have one one question because um, we will wrap it up. There has been a lot of chat in this year podcast. You mentioned Nuffery and uh, you love hanging out with the Dutchies. You've hung out with them so far. Any other kind of fan groups that have impressed you or that you're like, so when you come down, here's my email. Let's hang out. Let's have some fun. Who else has kind of been like, you guys seem like an absolute bucket of fun. I want to hang out with you in 2023. I have loved Swiss, the Swiss fans. There was a man with cowbells, who, like massive cowbells. And he was just like, uh, I'll post the video in one of He's my actually vlogs. actually a MacArthur so fan. Oh. That's a joke. No, no, you say that. But remember that I found those like Western United and like Melbourne There was a Western Knight. United jersey like on the world feed like optus literally posted it on their social media there's a man in that god-awful kit that some people love from western united's i think inaugural season they're the, the one you know which one i'm talking about anyway sorry i've derailed this no 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 i i just anyway switzerland back to switzerland. switzerland have absolutely brought it i've been like they were my kind of um surprise I, what's the I can't even remember when when a team outdoes themselves I don't know that's Switzerland but with the fans I've just been so pleasantly surprised by how how big of enoughs big enoughs how big enoughs they are that's not English how much nuffery has been going on with the Swiss the Swiss fans they were, they've been fantastic and Belgium as well so Belgium it's there's a lot of like people who are just like in their regular gear, but then you see some people who just go completely all out, just over the top, amazing outfits. I was in Rod, as some people may know, I walked off into the darkness of Rod's room the other night and my phone had died. Part of the reason why my phone had died is I was like on 2% battery and I was like, I must capture this, this man in a chicken costume, this Belgian man in a chicken costume. I was like, this is a must see. I, this is, I'm willing to put my life on the line and not have any phone 
no reception or battery in a place that I really should, to be honest. Rotherham's an interesting place, by the way. Sorry if you're a fan of Rotherham, but it's, a, it's, it's interesting. Um, for this man in a chicken costume. So the Nuffery from, yeah, Switzerland and Belgium has been fantastic. The Nuffery from Netherlands is always good. It's just like, you know what, you, I love the It's just so, I was kind of sad. I didn't end up, I was sitting with, with their fans for the, the Netherlands-Sweden game, but then, like, was at the other end for the um, the Netherlands-Switzerland game, and I'm kind of sad about that. I wanted to, wanted to be with – I was like, oh, I wanted to hang out with you guys, but we can't sit together right now. I'm sorry. Um, also, I was just wanted to say, in that ramble, I didn't address the fact – those stadium choices, I think, have been really good because um, a, you know, full, smaller size stadium is much better than a half-empty, bigger stadium. Um, and I think – yeah, my faves are probably Sheffield. Sheffield and Rotherham have both been really nice stadiums to be at. Brentford as well. To be honest, like I can't really fault the choice for venues. So maybe it is a case of maybe the, the place isn't necessarily, you know, somewhere that you go um, to visit. Um, but the the venue choice has been really, really good. So double thumbs up to that. Sorry, that I mean that's how we all ended up in Nice, isn't it? Like, yeah, I would, wouldn't go there I, of my own volition. Yeah, I think that in reflection, Nice was a shit choice for a state. That was a really big stadium for not particularly big games. So I think I will I will give credit where credit credit where credit is due. I think they've done really well on that front. UEFA and whoever else decides that stuff. I couldn't resist the opportunity to shit on Nice as a place. Sorry. Oh, you should absolutely do it every time. No, don't. I'm going to apologise. Anyway. That wasn't very nice of you, Marissa. Sorry. Ah! This is bad. We love Carrot's Corner. We can't wait for the next edition. Like I said, please follow us on social media at The Far Post Pod. Angela is dropping all these videos that genuinely give you a feel as to what you're doing, not just on match days, but in these cities. So please follow. They're very, very good. Um, if you want to read some actually really excellent Euros coverage, I'm writing some stuff for Optosport. But because this is an ESPN podcast, I have to give big shout outs to friends of the pod, Kathleen McNamee and Sophie Lawson, who have been killing it with their coverage. So you can check them out on ESPN.com.au. Final thing, we are recording on the 19th. Tomorrow is one year to go and Sam will be on a panel run by women on side. I think you can still sign up to be part of that, to basically just talk about how exciting things are that we are one year away from the world coming to hang out with us. So get around that if you are free tomorrow night. But otherwise, you know the usual spear. We're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. You can find us on all the podcast places. Leave a review, subscribe if you like. Otherwise, we'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just wanted to say before I stop recording, <laughs> Sam was like, Where have you been? And I just failed to answer that question. So I'm happy to just record a tiny bit <laughs> if you'd like to say where I've actually been. Would that Go work? For it. Go for yeah. it. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Maybe I can actually say which game. I can't remember what games I've been to. Which games have I been to? Shit. You don't have to do all of them. You've just got to do the one since the last. Or maybe just say what corner. cities you've been to. Cities. Okay. Yes. I wrote that down. So oh, I didn't finish that list. So I have visited thus far. Uh, still a few places to go. Um, Brighton, Sheffield. Rotherham, I haven't stayed in Rotherham. Um, Manchester, uh, Brentford in London, and that's it, I think, five venues. Yeah, but been to Old Trafford and then the Academy Stadium in Manchester. Um, And then, yeah, no, that's it. Six venues. Quick maths. Very excited. I'm going to Brighton today, actually, so... Hopefully I'll get to spend a little bit of time on the beach, but not too much time because um, I've the, the, the sandal tan, she's, it's not good. I took my shoes off last night and I was like, is that dirt or is that a tan? Bit of A, bit of B, but it's not good. It's not good. And they're starting, oh God, the teavers. Like, a, again, 
when I walked off into the darkness in Ros room, I was like, someone's going to mug me for my teethers. I'm like, no one's going to mug you for your sandals, Angela. They are disgusting. No one, you don't even want them right now. They're... Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Foot Post <laughs> is what we're doing right now. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> okay, so yes, in, in conclusion, I've been to six venues. Six cities? Six, don't ask me. Actually, I don't know what's happened. Just check out the itinerary. I always just send people <laughs> the itinerary because I genuinely, people be like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, what day is it? Like, <laughs> you know how I got confused yesterday? I was like, it's Monday, isn't it? And you're like, no, Bestie, it's Sunday. And I was like, oh, that's why everything was closed. Wow. I, all right. Okay. And here got I it. was just being like, I should start with a really simple question for Angela for this section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 